Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've got a lovely show planned for you today. Patrick's going to join me in just a minute. And then the Monday afternoon mix will continue with our guest, Kyle Bear. He's going to continue talking about his book on Christmas, and that's going to be great. And then Ace Collins is going to be with me in hour two. And if you know Ace, he is an absolute delight and a complete walking encyclopedia of everything related to Christmas. So it's going to be a really fun, fun couple of hours. I hope you can spend all of them with me. And I hope that if you missed any of the show, you're nice enough to go to the podcast and check it out. Well, anyway, to get things started, my friend Patrick uh, has been a faithful friend uh, over so many years and a, a faithful contributor to the show on Mondays. And I'm not sure I want to start without him. Patrick, welcome. Good. Thanks for having me. I, I'm kind of excited about this. The, I, my connection isn't great today. It sounded like you said a koala bear is coming on. <laughs> is, is that a? Is, did I hear that correctly or no? No, I didn't say koala bear. Oh, what did you say? I don't remember. That was several minutes. Kyle, ago. I think it was Kyle Bear. Oh, That's Kyle, mind. Kyle I've Bear. Just... Yes, Kyle Bear. Yeah, not yeah. koala bear. I'm sorry. I wasn't connecting sorry, those dots. No. You're confusing me. You know, it's, I've, it's every now and then you 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 try something funny, and it's a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've had such an interesting life. I know you worked as an accountant from age twenty-one until thirty, when you got fired for no apparent reason. I know. <laughs> I, uh, um, I, was, I can't do the numbers on that one. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a complete waste of fourteen years, wasn't it? It was well over 14 years, actually. <laughs> but your dad was an accountant, you the, and you thought you were going to follow my, in the footsteps until the showbiz bug bit you. Yes, yes. Uh, and I, you know, I found out later that uh, when you are from a family of eight, it always bites child number six yeah. for some reason, <laughs> which I think— I think child number six just says, I'm going to have to do something to get food in front of me because these other ones are much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was an accountant. You know, it's my, my sister was uh, married to an accountant and, uh, but she did their taxes and I never thought that was a good sign. Mm. Uh, so eventually he gave it up because it turned out he wasn't good at it. He, I think he also did it for like 14 years and became a photographer, Yeah, which he was good at. But you do My get, dad was very good. Yeah, I know. But you do get into the business with dreams and ambitions. And I think it's important to have a reality check every once in a while. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be good for just about anything you pursue in life. I mean, it's probably not going to go the way you think and that's okay. That's okay. You know, I had a friend when I was in my twenties, he would say, if you knew exactly how your life was going to play out for the next 50, 60 years, do you think you'd be bored or happy about that? And, and I thought, oh, well, that would be actually kind of frightening to know exactly how it's going to play out because you would see the bad things that are coming well in advance 
you know, then you would try to, of course, mess with the system and say, well, that's the way it was going to go. So let me try and throw it a curveball. I just, I don't know. You're not supposed to know. And uh, I, I know everybody has this experience where they look back and they say, well, things, I don't know. They didn't go the way I thought, but I really liked the way they went. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I used to never like that. You know, when I was younger, which is, of course, every day prior to today. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in my, after my father died a number of years later, my mother remarried. And my, my stepfather was a little different than my dad. My, my dad uh, had a, a little bit more of an entrepreneurial spirit in him. Um, you know, he, he quit his job as an accountant at 47 to open his own business as an accountant. And a lot of his siblings all owned their own businesses. And so he came from that background. Mm-hmm. And my stepfather was more of the, you know, go work for a company and you you find a stable thing and you got to try and plan for every eventuality. And he would always use that, you know, you need to be realistic. And, and I never liked those words when I was younger. Never, you know, be realistic, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what are the odds that this is going to go that way, that, you know, you're not going to be bigger than Siegfried and Roy? There's two of them. There's just one of you, you know. <laughs> yeah. That that kind of thing. And uh, and it would always rub me the wrong way. But of course, you know, when you're 19 years old, you don't want to be told you your your dreams are going to be hard to achieve or that they might – I don't want to call them ridiculous. Dreams are dreams. But uh, that it's not a bad idea to, you know, try and maybe plan for all kinds of things. Uh, just didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to hear it. Now I – you know, with my kids at 12 and 13 – they have their dreams and sometimes you want to say, you know, don't ever try to, dis, you know, extinguish those dreams, but also say, you know, what else are we going to do? Anything else? You know, it's, it's, it's hard because you want to say, I want you to manage your expectations because it's not going to go the way you think. Mm. It almost never goes the way you think. But how often does this happen where you're taking or picking up a hobby or you're pursuing an endeavor and in the process of doing that, you discover something completely different, something you never saw coming that you all of a sudden start to really um, excel at or or think I started with A, but now I'm doing B and I've never been happier. I've seen that with, you know, it's it's funny. My, my wife w- was going to college for law school uh, to, be, to become a lawyer and uh, she got involved with a theatrical production. Uh, in, in one of her years at college and said, oh, this is so, this is, this is where I want to go. Uh, she didn't want to be on stage and that's worked out very well because she doesn't want to be on stage and I don't get to be on stage <laughs> anymore. <laughs> but, but, uh, she really liked the business end of it and the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now she's kind of a, a big wig uh, running the behind the scenes of a of a major performing arts center, and uh, you know, in the nitty gritty of the numbers and how to make it all work, and how to get thirty two semis unloaded with, uh, you know, a play, uh, get it in in place in eight hours, get you know, one hundred and fifty people fed on time. She she just loves all that stuff, and it was all by accident. It was not intended. It was just, you know, I'm looking for something else to do while I'm studying law. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think a lot of people have those stories, don't yeah, they? Oh, I think most people do. I think it's, uh, it's so encouraging, too, to hear people say, I, I intended to do this, but then I discovered that, and that was what was really exciting for me. So, yeah, I mean, I wanted to be a marriage and family counselor way back when, until I found out you'd have to go to school for an additional five years 
So that kind of killed that. But uh, this counselor I spoke to uh, at a graduate school mm. said to me, well, what are you doing now? And I said, well, I'm, I'm in the entertainment business. And he said, well, whoa, 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 what? And he said, well, just so you know, you will get places I will never get. I'm going to sit in an office and talk to people. He said, you'll be able to go go places and get to places that I will never get to. So he said, make sure that when you're looking at the giftedness that God has given you, that you make sure you take full advantage of what he's given you. That's pretty good advice. Yeah. Oh, it was great advice. Well, you know, and it's a funny thing because I ended up in this kind of showbiz thing and I said, well, I'm just going to keep doing this until the waiting tables career takes off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, um, yeah, I've had many opportunities to speak to kids at some of these, you know, high schools, the acting classes or the theatrical group. And some of them are in really nice high schools with exquisite facilities. And I say, well, you know, it's probably not going to be like this your whole life. Uh, you know, there's, there's, I've, I've worked in a lot of really nice theaters and then backstage you say, oh, this is, this is, you know, I learned from a very high profile magician how to change into my uh, performing clothes while standing on a toilet so that uh, and he said, well, in case you're ever in one of those situations where you're in those places that floods. And I thought, well, what kind of um, who would ever have a theater where, you know, the changing room and everything floods? Well, I've been there. Yeah. And I was grateful for the experience of working with a guy who said, you're going to have to learn how to do this because it's not always going to be beautiful conditions. And then, you know, you go out on stage and you do your thing and you say, well, that's okay. I'm still doing the thing I like to do. Mm -hmm. And okay. So it wasn't, you know, it's never, nothing's ever perfect, is it? It never is, but you never know what direction God will be leading. And I, you know, I've often asked people, you know, what is, what was your plan B? They could, they could have been a, but they could be a doctor or a lawyer or a dentist and, and they will quickly uh, be very happy to tell a story of what they, what what else they thought they were going to do, or what their dreams were, and they ended up doing something different. It, they're great stories. It's a great conversation breaker. You know what? What, I mean, what did yeah, you have in mind is. before this? Well, now, do you ever get an answer that was? I mean, is it always kind of in the same vein? I was going to be a doctor, but now I'm a lawyer. Or is it, you know, I was going to give, you know, Zamfir, master of the pan flute, a run for his money. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> touches Zamfir. it just Zamfir. didn't happen for Yeah. Me. I love obscure Nobody. jokes he about Zamfir. He is the Zamfir. master of the pan flute. Yeah, just so you know. Yeah. But, you know, I talked to an attorney friend of mine. He says, well, I really wanted to be an architect, but I come from a line of attorneys. So it seemed that it made the most amount of sense to go into law. Because if I had to do it yeah. over, I would have probably pursued um, being an architect. The architecture. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a, wow. I like well, I like that. I you know I don't. I had various plans, and then some. I, I went to a high school reunion. One of mine. I don't know which one it was. There have been so many of them, and people were stunned. They said, "Well, in high school, you wanted to be a magician. So what are you doing now?" I said, <laughs> uh, yeah. said I'm a magician, and and I was almost you know kind of sheepish about it. Mm-hmm. And they all thought that was the greatest thing. I said, well, now look at all you people, you know, head of multi-million dollar corporations. I'm still doing the same rope tricks I was doing in high school. <laughs> they said, yeah, but that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. And, and I, I said, you know, that's true. I said, so I guess I got pretty, I got pretty lucky there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, it didn't go the way I thought it was uh, going to go. But it, it sure had some great moments of discovery where – and you know this, when you suddenly find yourself, sometimes you're in a room with somebody, you say, here's one of my heroes in life. 
here's somebody I used to, I used, I looked up to as as a as a child. There were magicians that I'd suddenly be working with. I said, "Wait a minute, how did this happen to me? How yeah. did I end up here?" That's good. The, and the path was really circuitous, mm-hmm. but but tons of fun. Yeah, we'll go to break. Patrick Albany's is my guest, and Patrick, right before we had to break, Proverbs sixteen verse three says, "Commit to the Lord whatever you do." and he will establish your plans. I love that. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Welcome to the show, and happy Monday. I love Mondays. Get things started. Patrick Albanese is my guest, and uh, Patrick will... Send me things throughout the week that I will put in the file of things to mention or talk about, which I always appreciate. And Patrick, you sent me a great quote by Robert Benchley, who said, anyone can do any amount of work, provided it isn't the work he is supposed to be doing at that moment. <laughs> it's so true. Isn't that true? <laughs> I, you know, if, whenever I want to get something done, uh, I often have to look for something that's even more unpleasant to do. <laughs> <laughs> to motivate me to do the mm-hmm. the slightly unpleasant thing to do. Yeah, uh, it it is amazing. You know, we have this thing where I, I, I you know, my wife and I call it picking fonts. Where I say I really need to write that letter to, uh, you know, so and so about whatever. And uh, three hours later, she says, "You can we get that letter done?" Yeah, uh, no. She says, "Are you picking fonts again?" So what's got to be the right font? <laughs> really. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, and do you put two spaces after a period or is it just one space now? Because the rules of grammar have changed, you know, yeah. you want to make the right impression. But th- that is so true. I mean, don't you ever uh, find you have to, um, you know, there's a lot of things that need organizing. All of a sudden, there's before, 10 things you need to do before you get to the work that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. 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 We're I all really, kind of like that. I, 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 really, I don't know why. Yeah, I really should unplug that sink, but... First, <laughs> these pens and pencils are a mess. <laughs> right. Patrick, I think it was last week we, we went on that cliche fest and we had a yes. lot of listeners really kick in with some great ideas. And and we had some just at the last uh, second come in that we didn't get a chance to deal with. But it did make me laugh and there were some really good ones. And one of the ones that I really liked uh, was Cat's Meow. And cat's pajamas. Cats, meow. Turns out those are yeah. superlatives, um, mostly um, originated by a, a cartoonist, uh, Tad Morgan. He's getting credit for doing a lot of these. Yeah, it's, I get, and uh, I think he was. I remember reading about him, uh, a little bit of a uh, a recluse, a little unusual guy, which makes sense. But he he. May imagine being it's like the he's like the SNL guy, the Saturday Night Live guy of his time, where he he introduces phrases, 
And uh, you know, the next thing you know, they become part of the popular culture. I know. You know? He he didn't come he didn't come up with uh, you know pump you up and you know, right. <laughs> two wild and crazy guys. Right. But he came up with cats meow. Cats meow and I cats pajamas he, and applesauce, which means nonsense. And he came up with cheaters, yeah. which are eyeglasses. Yep. And to this day, we we still do use we call them cheaters. Yeah. Yeah. And. He also came up with Dumbbell, which is a not-so-bright-of-a-person. And this one, which I've never completely understood, for crying out loud, which is an exclamation of astonishment. Would you have connected those dots? Crying out loud? Uh, I don't even know what that means. I don't know if I would have connected those. I've always liked the Minnesota version of it, which, which, which was the for crying outside. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. makes even less sense to me, but uh but uh um I do yeah, so why for crying out loud? He came up with that one, huh? Yeah. And as busy as a one armed paper hanger. You heard that one when you were a kid, weren't you didn't you? Uh yes. Yeah. So in yeah. other words, you're just we, overworked if that's you. If you're being described that way, you are overworked. Right. And I I I had also heard I don't. I have no idea if it's the exact same guy, but the uh, you know the one-armed rower. Mm. You know, <laughs> you're going in circles like like the you know like the one-armed rowboat guy. Yeah. You know? And yes, we, yes, we have no bananas, which became a song though. It did. Yeah, we have no bananas today. <laughs> <laughs> and I had not heard the expression "nickel nurser." Did you know that one? No, is that somebody who's miserly? Yeah, someone who's kind of a a miser. Yeah, a nickel nurser. No, but that now when you think about it, that's actually uh, you know somebody who's a little bit more spendy than the, than the penny pincher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least he's got nickels. But you have, yeah, yeah, and then of course then there's dime a dozen, which means something's cheap. Yeah, and and then of course shaving a haircut two bits. So. That's right. <laughs> I thought this was going to be interesting, we, but anyway, <laughs> do we do, do we do we find that we just adopt you know phrases, thinking that we're being original in our manner of speaking? That that all we are really doing is just repeating stuff we've heard over and over and over. Again. I think that's it. I think that's it. I think we we hear things throughout our lives and we just adopt them, and all of a sudden we find ourselves using them, like a yeah. drugstore cowboy. Think, I never knew what that was. I mean, I knew there was a movie called that, but it was a. Uh, a, a loafer's or a ladies' man was a drugstore cowboy. Not know that. I'm starting to sound like Johnny Carson really? here. I did so not know just, that. That is not. Yeah, I, I did, did not. not. <laughs> You're right, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's. Uh, I, I don't know how that stuff uh, came about, unless you know these. The what would you call the? Uh, it's it's a fashionably dressed. I'm looking it up right now. A fashionably dressed man who loitered around pub places. Okay. So, I, I'm assuming the drugstore would be the place that he would put on his best suit mm-hmm. and hang out near the, you know, I don't know what section, probably first aid. <laughs> yeah. So, Patrick, do you? Well, that's. Do you, you know. do you carry much cash anymore? Do you have much cash on hand in your pocket? I'm walking by the the bell ringers now, at Salvation Army, and I thought, uh, I don't have any cash on me. So now I got to make sure I have cash yeah. on me. I still carry cash. Uh, often I take the hundred dollar bill out and 
I, I, okay, this is good. You want to know something? Yeah. This is going to sound silly. I think I have $250 in cash in my wallet right now. What? Let me you t- do? I can take it up. Come on. You, yes. You don't okay. have that much money on you. Uh, here's $100 bill, another no, $100 that bill. That's a joke coming. No, no. This uh, I only have like $120, $220. Okay. That's a okay. lot of money walking around. I have, and I, I'll never spend those hundreds. I think they're the same ones I've had since 1978. <laughs> <laughs> I remember getting, you know, the first time I got large bills, I just, I thought it was the most beautiful thing. I said, look at that. There's such attractive artwork on these things. And even in high school, I would be known to have at least one $100 bill in my wallet. Wow. I did not know this about you. I thought I knew most yeah, I, everything I, about I, you, but I don't. I would never, I, 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 it would just hurt me to break it. Hmm. You know, I would, I would rather go to the bank, withdraw a bunch of 20s instead of breaking my 100 somehow. <laughs> so it's like some and, weird uh, little insurance policy or what? What's the purpose behind that if you don't use it? I, you know, I don't know. Hmm. I, but I, it's, I'm going on many, many years. I have almost, my whole life, I've almost always had at least one $100. This is going to get mugged. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why I like having it, but I, I think it is kind of that emergency thing. Okay. I mean, it's bailed me out a couple of times. Uh, in fact, I remember one time we had gone up to see a, sh- a f- friend was performing in Reno, Nevada, and we got snowed in three feet of snow overnight. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to get out of town to get back to Los Angeles. And we had to buy chains and we had to get somebody to put them on and we had to get somebody to put them off. And they were only taking cash. Wow. And I said, well, we're getting out of town. <laughs> aren't you, weren't you one of the smartest guys that day? Yeah, that was, you know, 40 some odd years planning saying, finally. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. You know, I remember the, the chain guy said, can you break a hundred? He said, of course I can. You know how many chains I've put on today? Oh. So that cost me exactly $100 to buy chains, get them put on, get them taken off to get out of Reno. And we had a drive through Tahoe, which had seven feet of snow. Wow. Yeah, I, I remember those. Yeah. Those Tahoe days, yeah, those were treacherous and beautiful and everything uh, combined. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. Why do I carry so much money? Well, yeah, I'm, I want to know too. And I'm sorry I asked you on air. Uh, I should have asked you privately first. Yeah, no, that's okay. It's, all you, I know you, is you caught I, me actually. I've never thought about it. I know. All I know is next time we're having lunch, who's paying? <laughs> I'll guarantee you that right uh, now. I, I have offered to pie in the past, and uh, you know I. I never I think, thought you had any money. I, have on a, you. <laughs> I never thought anybody. I have a, a friend who uh, was a mime in her, you know, early twenties, late twenties, and everybody thought she was poor, so they'd always treated her to lunch, and she was the first one to buy a house because she said I never had to pay for anything, <laughs> <laughs> and she had saved up all this money yeah. from being a street corner mime. Oh, funny. Well, I won't so, talk to you again until listen. after. Uh, New Year's. So have a great Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Hey, you too. And uh, by the way, I recommend, uh, like everybody else in Minneapolis, heading over to the nail salon because if you're going to continue to watch the Vikings and bite your nails, just get the acrylics. I agree. Just get Thank the you acrylics. for that bit of advice. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, Patrick. Thanks. Yep. Patrick Albanese has been Merry my Christmas. guest. Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. We'll take a little break. We come back with the Monday afternoon mix koala bear. No, Kyle Bear is going to join us. Be back in a minute.
A mysterious star in the sky. It's bright like one and shines like one. A baby lying in a manger. There he is, after all this time. And a fulfilled promise. You will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. In Fulfillment is a biblical audio drama, over 40 voice actors, and the fulfilled moments of Jesus' life. Search In Fulfillment wherever you listen to podcasts, or just go to MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the Monday afternoon mix. 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 It's not the same. Right now, it's not the same, but it, no. it will. It will get different in yeah. just a minute when David Miles joins us. I think he's stuck in traffic. He is. We're having a little snowy winter. I love saying this. It's a two-letter word here in Minnesota: wintry mix. I love it. Which means sleety, wintry, slippery. Mix. On the Monday afternoon mix. There we go. Yes, yes. There we go. But the good news is Kyle Davison Bear is with us, and he is joining us one more time to talk about his book, The Quest for Christmas. And Kyle, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. So we uh, will get David when he shows up, but I'd say let's jump in because I got lots of questions for you. Sounds good. You know, I was thinking about today and thinking about this quest for Christmas, and mm-hmm. why why was the virgin birth necessary? Oh, I love that question. Uh, yeah, I figured you would. Yeah, uh, it's it's part of the Christmas story that we often don't think about because it just kind of, if you've grown up with it, it's just a detail that you know and you just gloss past. Mm-hmm. Jesus was born of a virgin. You know, Mary conceives Jesus, just gives birth to him, still a virgin, and we just accept it. But the question is, why is it there in the first place? You know, when they first heard about it 2,000 years ago, like, what was it communicating? Why was that important for Matthew to include that detail? And it turns out it's absolutely vital. If it did not happen, Jesus would not be Messiah. He would not be qualified. Say more about that. Well, it all goes back to the Old Testament and two promises that God makes to his people. Well, one promise and one curse. The first promise he makes to David where he says, um, and he promises that one of David's descendants will sit on the throne forever. Mm. It's one of the great promises in the Old Testament. It gives us confidence that Messiah has to be a physical descendant of David because God keeps his promises. That's who he is. He can't be unfaithful. He made David this promise. He has to fulfill it. Messiah will be a physical descendant of David. And then we get this guy named Jeconiah. Uh, when's the last time you heard a sermon on Jeconiah? You know? Mm. It's, it's been a little while. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> He's important, although he doesn't show up for a long time in the record. The mentions that he does have are very important and they're just terrible. He is the last Davidic descendant to actually sit on the throne of Judah. Uh, he only reigns for about three months before he's deported and taken to Babylon. And then his uncle reigns for a little while as a puppet, you know, ruler for a few years, and then is just gone. There's just nothing. And Jeconiah does such a terrible job. His heart before the Lord is in such a state of rebellion that God curses him. And God says that none of Jeconiah's seed, his physical descendants, will ever sit upon the throne of David. Hmm. So now we have a problem. Messiah has to be a blood descendant of David, but he cannot be a blood descendant of Jeconiah. And yet the right to the throne, the legal right to sit on the throne runs through Jeconiah. Hmm. So how do you... Boy, the plot thickens, doesn't it? (laughs) It 
does. It does. This is well-told story, Kyle. There are so many well-told stories in the Bible that if you don't dig deep, you just miss them. Amen. Yeah. I, I love this book. I've been digging into it for almost 40 years, and I've never reached anywhere close to the bottom. There is so much here. But anyway, so then we get to the time of Jesus, and we get to Messiah and the prophecy of Messiah. Everybody understands that Messiah is royal. He is he is the king. He is a blood descendant of David. Um, and so when you get to Mary, and she receives the promise that she is going to conceive this child as a virgin, I think as soon as the first audience heard that, for them it was like these sparks went off like, oh, he did it. God found a way to solve that riddle. Because when Mary conceives Jesus uh, as a virgin and gives birth to him, still a virgin, what Mary descends from David, she is a blood descendant of David, but through David's son, Nathan. Jeconiah is a descendant through Solomon. The royal line passes through Solomon. Nathan was another child of, of David. So Mary is a physical royal blood descendant of David, but her line skips that curse. So Jesus being born of Mary means he comes from Davidic blood. He is, he is royal. He is a blood descendant of David. And so he avoids the curse that way, but he still needs to sit on the throne. He needs legal right to sit on that throne. And that happens in Matthew chapter 1 when the angel comes to Joseph and says to Joseph, Mary will have a son. You, Joseph, you must name him Jesus. Hmm. To us, that just means like, oh, he got to pick the name. No, no. In Jewish society, to adopt a child, you name the child. The moment that Joseph gave that child the name Jesus, Joseph adopted him as his firstborn son. And as soon as he did that, the legal right to the throne passed from Joseph to Jesus. And for the first time in 700 years, a blood descendant of David inherited the legal right to the throne and avoided the curse of Jeconiah. I my jaws dropped down. It's I good. I have never heard this like that told that way. Beautiful. Told by a practically a panting guest. I know. <laughs> I keep he on him like he had to run to get here. He literally <laughs> ran up the stairs into the studio and you know, you just need to catch your breath. You're doing amazing. But why we you. were why we were running to get Kyle into the studio. I'm like, "Don't you just love live radio?" I know. <laughs> Oh, it's a joy. Kyle Davison Bear is my guest. He's a prayer ministries pastor at New Hope Church. He also happens to be a friend and colleague of uh, Pastor David Miles, who, uh, David, what do you think about Kyle so far? Oh, wait, he's listening in his car right now. (laughs) Wait, let me see if I I can do an impersonation. Well, I think he's fabulous. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Three times in a row. I I might be worried about my seat. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. All right, Kyle, why uh, wasn't Christmas originally a pagan holiday? Oh, I love that. Uh, if you're on social media at all, uh, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram, if you're on TikTok, you'll, you'll see these accusations just fly like, just fly wildly around this time of year. People saying, you know, the Christmas tree was originally pagan. So when you put up a Christmas tree in your home, you're worshiping pagan gods. Or people say, you know, um, Christmas, you know, it was originally a Roman holiday called Saturnalia, or it was originally sold in Victus. It was his birthday on the 25th of December, and Christians just stole it, you know. And every single year these come around, uh, and every year it seems like they gain wider and wider traction, and I talk to more and more Christians who are upset at these. And, you know, rightly so. If, if those accusations are serious, that's, that's kind of threatening. Like, if the things that you're doing are secretly worshiping false gods, mm-hmm. and, you know, and 
that kind of throws a wrench into the whole Christmas plan. You know, it's not so much a, a merry little holiday anymore. So it was one of the things that I dug into deeply when I was writing this book. I wanted to know for sure, like, is Christmas a Christian holiday? Is everything that we're doing on Christmas, like, actually glorifying to Jesus? Does it please him? Or have we appropriated all these other pagan rituals and things? So, um, I'm, I'm curious as I, to see what your results uh, produced. I'm, I'm really hoping that the Christmas tree is okay because it is like... <laughs> Our family's favorite tradition. You, you have like a 17-foot Christmas tree, too. You only sent me a on, picture of it. Only on accident. I just, you know, you should know never to cut down a Christmas tree that's on a hill because <laughs> it looks a lot smaller yeah. than it really is. Yes. All right, well, we'll deal with the Christmas tree first, then, since this is a... It's a hot button for me. It is, and it's rightfully so. Um, the origins of the Christmas story are... Or of the Christmas tree, rather, that we use during Christmas time... It's kind of oblique. You dig into history and it kind of, you get back to around the 1600s and the Protestant Reformation and there's Christmas trees there. And then you just kind of, you, you could go on any one of a dozen different rabbit trails. It's kind of hard to say where exactly it came from. So my question for this, for the Christmas tree, wasn't so much who was the first one to do it, but uh, do we have biblical precedent to do it? To mm-hmm. set up a Christmas tree in a living room, real or fake, to worship Jesus, you know, to honor his birth. And when you start reading the scriptures, you find that not only do we have precedent, but God is doing this, you know, way back in the Old Testament. You look at the Psalms, you look at the prophets. I mean, Isaiah says, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Mm. All the trees of the field, you know, that, that God can commission these trees as worshiping him. You know, God's not threatened by them. He doesn't say, you know, make sure you don't do anything with the tree and make sure you're only talking. No, hey, God... If we don't praise, the rocks themselves will cry out. Uh, God can summon all the aspects of creation of the created order to worship him. And pine trees are even mentioned specifically. Um, Psalm 148 mentions, you know, praise the Lord from the earth, uh, you great sea creatures, all you deeps, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. You know, and cedars are some of the first pine trees brought in as Christmas trees. So again, they're listed specifically in the worship of God, you know, use mm. these trees. Come on, you all you trees, worship the Lord. Mm. And so I have no doubt that some, you know, pagan holidays at some point used a Christmas tree or, or used a pine tree rather. But when we're going back 3,000 years and God is commissioning worship to himself from these trees. Mm. So God is not threatened in the slightest by you having a Christmas tree in your house to worship him. I mean, you can just go quote Psalm 148 and say, I'm just being biblical. All these trees of the field are clapping their hands. You know, this this cedar is praising the Lord here. There is never a shortage of an, antagonism towards anything Christian, though, especially on social media. Mm-hmm. And social media itself, um, the bite-sized format just makes it so easy to rip something out of context, make it seem terrible, and then you, you read it and you feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Like one of the most popular I've seen, uh, somebody quotes Jeremiah 10, where it says... Um, you know, it's talking about detestable practices in, in Jeremiah ten three, A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of craftsmen. They decorate it with silver and gold. And you're thinking, okay, cutting down a tree, decorating it with silver and gold, God's prohibiting that? That sounds an awful lot like my Christmas tree. <laughs> and, and you'll see that in social media, just that little clip, you know, with the tree that, you know. But you just keep reading. It's not talking about a Christmas tree at all. It's talking about fashioning the wood of that 
you know, into an idol, into the shape of some animal or some, you know, mm. covering it with gold and putting it up on a platform and worshiping it. Well, I like Christmas trees, and I know a lot of people who like Christmas trees, but I've never met someone who actually bows down and worships their Christmas tree. So unless you're actually sacrificing to your Christmas tree, I think you're safe from Jeremiah 10. Mm. It's interesting because the Christmas tree in our house, we've stripped back all the other decorations. It's the only Christmas decoration that we have anymore um, besides our manger scenes. Um, so it's just those two. I mean, I don't really have anything else except greenery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, stockings on the mantle? No, no, we no didn't. Uh, no, okay, so we don't have them hanging by the mantle because we have Pedro Joe, and you oh, yeah. know, he's okay. going to pull that He'll sucker pull right down. down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You can't get to let the dog no. get the stockings. No. All right. <laughs> we'll take a little break. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue with Kyle Davison Bear. We talk about his book, The Quest for Christmas. And I'm going to take a break a little bit early, thinking that when we come back, Pastor David Miles will be with us. We'll find out in just a minute. That'd be delightful. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. the Monday afternoon mix. We do not have Pastor David Miles yet. He is we, not I do have Kyle and Rosie, so I'm happy. There we go. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a good little group. It's a great group. So, Kyle is the author of a book called um, a quest for, The Quest for Christmas. There we are. Thank you so much. Examining the Evidence for Belief. And it's a lovely book, and he's been talking about it now for three weeks, and it's been really uh, eye-opening. You've been a doing a great job, Kyle. Thank you. And I'm going to go back now, if we can, let's look at some of the, um, the account in Matthew. Now mm-hmm. in Matthew, he includes the tragedy of the Bethlehem massacre in his Christmas story. Yeah. All right. Talk about that if you would. Yeah. This is another one of those details that uh, doesn't often pop up on your Christmas Eve services. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And yet Matthew, for him, it's the culmination of the whole Christmas story. You know, it's the, the final detail in his narration until it jumps forward in time. So for Matthew, it was an important detail to cover. Um, so for Matthew, uh, after Jesus you know, is visited by the wise men, they come, they bring these incredible gifts. The angel warns the wise men, don't go back to Herod, go back a different route. And when Herod finds out he's tricked, he becomes furious. He decides to kill all the children uh, age two and under in Bethlehem. In retaliation, because he wants to make sure that there's no other claimant to the throne. The angels warn Mary and Joseph in advance. They get out. They head to Egypt. But but Herod's soldiers still come in. They slaughter all the children, mm. all the male children, two years old and under, in Bethlehem. And, of course, it's just, it's it's a horrific scene. It's something that, again, we don't talk about often in church on Christmas just because of how horrific it is. It, it doesn't leave you with warm fuzzies as you're going home to, no, it doesn't. to, to unwrap the gifts. 
Um, and the first question that people ask when they, they look at this is, did this event really happen? Because so many historians say, you know, if, if it's not recorded outside the Bible, well, how can you trust it? You know, it's, it's only one voice. Uh, and my response to that is, knowing the character of Herod from history, I mean, there's no question that he was capable of this. He killed three of his own children because he believed they were making plans against the throne. Um, when Herod was actually about to die, he ordered that all the prominent people in, the, in Israel be summoned to Jericho into an auditorium. Herod knew nobody would weep at his death. So he gave orders that as soon as he died, his soldiers should kill all the notable people assembled in the stadium so that there would be weeping throughout the whole land when he died. You know, that was who Herod was. He had no trouble taking life. And so could Herod have done this? Absolutely. Yeah. And Well, you know, Kyle, as you're t- telling this story, I am in, in the horrific death of, of the innocents. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm also struck with is this man who is inherently evil and has done so many evil acts, believed the scriptures to be true mm-hmm. and was worried about them and uh, and the the consistency of God to fulfill his word. And yet today in our world today, we are constantly questioning the Bible all the time. And even an evil man of that day knew God's character better than sometimes I think we do as we stand and look at scripture. That's a very good point. Yeah, he believed the scriptures. He didn't say that's a bunch of malarkey. He said, if that's really who was prophesied, I have to take care of him because he's a threat to me. Right. Yeah, it is amazing how he could believe and yet rebel against God. Mm-hmm. Guess who's here? Go ahead. What? What? Yeah, Pastor David Miles. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, you know what? I I have to tell you, you guys are so... Amazing. One, because you guys love Jesus and Jesus loves you. And I'm super excited that, you know, my better brother from another mother. That'd be me. We're from a funky <laughs> drummer. Well, I got two baldies here with me. Yeah. Yeah. Be nice. Kyle and Bill. Be nice. So, and I've got the hair covered for all three of you. That's true. Right? Yes. There you we do. Go. Yes. 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 So I'm glad to be here, but super excited for our listening family to be listening to the three of you. So. Uh-huh. That blesses my heart. Well, it didn't feel complete, David, I have no, to didn't. say. We tried to do the mix, 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 and it just it didn't, fell didn't flat. Hit, didn't no, hit the way it normally does. No. We didn't get any like, text people saying that was good, that, that Miles guys wasn't doing that mix, mix, mix stuff. No. Our text line, Our text is, line is down. Yeah. It is? Yeah. yeah. It is. Oh, man. Yeah. I love hearing from people in our listening family. They're amazing. I do, too. They say the coolest things, too, and they send the most wonderful questions. So, Bill, how do they get a hold of us on another day? <laughs> I think so. I, 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 I've not heard what we're supposed to say. Okay. Well, I haven't heard what we're supposed to say either, but I do know that we have, we miss it. It does feel like the third arm of our studio is gone because I'm always watching the text, as is Bill. And um, I do hope we can just pray that it is up and running soon. Mm-hmm. All right, Kyle, let's jump to some of the prophecies of Jesus as Messiah. Did the writers... Uh, hang on, hang on. I can pull you back to the Bethlehem matter. Oh, yeah. Are we not done there? No, we are not. Okay, I was disrupted by David. <laughs> in, in a good and way. My, and I my question. I, I think I derailed it with my question, too. Yeah. No worries. It's good. Um, but no, what I want to complete talking about there is um, the question of did it happen? Uh, I would say, you know, I have no doubt historically that it did. One, because Bethlehem is so close to Jerusalem and memories are long. I mean, no one, no one forgets the murder of their child. 
If anyone ever doubted the story, they could go to Bethlehem 10 years later, 30 years, 60, 90 years, and they would remember. They would be able to verify it. And there's not the first hint historically that anyone challenged this account. So did it happen? I think absolutely. But then we have the question of, again, why does Matthew include this in his story? Mm-hmm. You know, He has limited space. Why does he include this story? Uh, the reason it stands out for me is because tragedy finds us at every stage of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, no doubt there are members of our listening audience right now for whom Christmas is not a time of joy, but a time of pain, a time of heartbreak. Um, and this, the massacre at Bethlehem, capping off the Christmas story for Matthew, just reminds us Jesus was born into a world full of sin, full of pain, full of you know, legitimately evil people like Herod who will do anything to protect their own power, to attack the way of God. Um, and even, I mean, just think about the fact that every bit of pain we've endured has its roots in sin. So does sin matter? Do we need to talk about a savior? I think every drop of blood shed in Bethlehem says absolutely sin matters. The reason we need a savior is because we live in that kind of a world where there are powerful people who will stop at nothing to protect their own power, who will take life. That's the world Jesus was born into. And every time he remembers his story, every time his family tells him the tale of why they went to Egypt, he's reminded, you were born into this world, this world that needs a savior, this world that needs a rescue from sin. That's the world that Jesus came to save. Mm -hmm. Mm. Great point, Kyle, because you're right. Christmas time is difficult for many because they're suffering and it's not, it triggers some bad, bad memories. Yeah, so when Scripture says in John 1, you know, 16 and 17 and 18, that Jesus came full of grace and truth. I mean, he was truth. He was grace. But truly, like, sin's brokenness in the world is like, it's not a small type of, you know, idiosyncrasies. I mean, like, this is very, very real. And I love that Scripture in so many other places, Kyle, as you're noting, talks about how God is near to the brokenhearted and to the downcast. And, you know, two-thirds of our psalms are lament psalms. So, you know, so if you're if you're listening and feeling like, you know, wow, there's all this festive cheer and does God see me? Yeah, he sees you. And that's precisely why Christmas is, because he looked and said, you know what, this I, I'm gonna send my son into the world to remedy this brokenness, pain and abandonment and despair. Mm. So good. All right, what do you say, Kyle? So we jump to some of the prophecies of Jesus as the Messiah, because I think that's such a key part of Christmas. It is, absolutely. To understand those. And the prophecies are essentially their Messiah's calling card. When you read through the Old Testament, you just pay attention to how many prophecies it makes, how comfortable God is telling you what's going to happen before it happens. And so many of them are specifically geared toward Messiah. Uh, It was designed, you know, one, to show you that this is the real God. He can tell you the future, but it's also designed to help you identify Messiah when he gets here. Because he must fulfill all these prophecies, or he's not Messiah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so the better you know the Old Testament, the more you can see Jesus fulfilling these, and the more confidently you can place your trust in him. And so, um, just to tie back into what we were just talking about with Bethlehem, you know, the, one of the most famous prophecies from Micah 5.2, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are in no way least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. I, I love these prophecies because one, it's so specific. It tells you exactly the town. Um, if we had more time, we get into Daniel, and Daniel, uh, he gives you a clock, a prophetic clock that starts ticking. It counts down, you know, almost to the day, uh, giving you just 
There was a reason everyone in Israel was expecting Messiah to be born around Jesus' time. They had very good reason because of Daniel's prophecy to expect him to arrive at this time. And God says, when, at, when the time comes, look to Bethlehem. And again, Bethlehem is only five miles from Jerusalem. This is not an obscure backwater town. This is a place everyone in Israel can go and check. Every good and faithful Jewish family comes to Jerusalem three times a year for the big feasts. They can check all these details of the story. They can go and say, did Herod kill the children? They can go and say to the shepherds, did you see this? They can say, did you have a visit of the wise men? You can go and check all these prophecies. And again, there's no sign historically that anyone doubted them. There's mm-hmm. no sign that anyone said, hey, I went and checked and nobody knew it. No, it was just understood. And even Jesus' fiercest opponents never once questioned that he fulfilled these prophecies. Well, you know, one fascinating thing about this, Kyle, about people being aware of it, <clears throat> one of the things was that at that time, Israel was underneath, like, Roman European colonialist rule. I mean, Herod was, and like, set up Pilate and all those different things. And one of the fascinating things is when Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John 6, it makes this interesting note that when they saw him do that, they wanted to make him king by force. Yeah. Because they were living under oppression, like they were being heavily taxed. They, all these various things going through. So they weren't sitting there like, oh, I want, they're like, Lord, please, please, please send someone. So like that so speaks to it. And you have an entire, you know, Roman empire that's alive and well doing this. So Kyle, it speaks so much to what you're saying. It does. And just in the 30 seconds here, one of the prophecies speaks straight to what you just talked about. The prophecy from Isaiah 7 you know, that the virgin will give birth and you will give him the name Emmanuel. That prophecy was given specifically to that. It was given to a king who was worried that his kingdom would be destroyed, that the enemies rising against him would wipe them out. And in that prophecy, uh, God is assuring him that your kingdom will last until this child is born. And that's 700 years later. You know, of course, the king who received this prophecy, Ahaz, didn't know it would be 700 years, but the prophecy was given to him to say, your people will be safe. I will protect your people. They will last until this baby is born. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Kyle Davison Bear has been our special guest on the Monday Afternoon Mix. His book is called The Quest for Christmas, Examining the Evidence for Belief. David, we've missed you, but nice to have you here. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with a full hour with Ace Collins. I can hardly wait. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.